Jordan and Gretzky, Serena and Ruth Remembering great ones is easy to do But what about the no names who spent their whole lives Long stepping footballs and catching sack flies They're guys, remember that guy some guys now michigan at the 41 what a hit balls free on the ground south carolina deserves to have it and they remember that guy the show where we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present hey there folks it's me james one of your hosts uh unfortunately diaz volunteered before this show to get a kind of 4d experience of vincent smith getting laid out by Jadavion Clowney, and he has become unstuck in time much like Amy Adams in Arrival or Eric Bana in The Time Traveler's Wife or someone in the other Time Traveler's Wife adaptation that just came out on HBO. He may or may not be able to resonate with us at any moment, but in the meantime, I do have with us our very special guest. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, you know, that's right. It's me, Jake Bentley, the star of the 2018 Outback Bowl. But actually, we have the true star of the 2018 Outback Bowl with us today, Please welcome the guest pro tempore and host of the Shutdown Fullcast, Ryan Nanny. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, you know, hate to take glory away from the players. They really won that game. Was I a pivotal part of why they won that game? Who's to say? For others to decide. History will be written long after I'm gone. So, When I was trying to select a play for this week, I find it funny that it's kind of the Phineas and Ferb hand puppet meme. If I had a nickel for every time, there was like a big viral moment coming out of a Outback Bowl matchup between Michigan and South Carolina. I'd only have two nickels, but it is still weird that it's happened twice. <laughs> that's a really, that's a fair point. Yeah, that's probably, you know, I imagine when the Outback Bowl is like, oh, we got South Carolina and Michigan, two teams that like not a lot of natural sort of connection between them. The fact that they've gotten two good moments out of it Maybe that's why they're out of the bull sponsorship game altogether. They're like, we did what we came to do. We're done. We proved our point. They left a perfect Bloom and Onion legacy that doesn't have to get tarnished by any further matchups. Uh, Ryan, we are absolutely thrilled to have you on here. Decided that eventually Xavier might have to recuse himself, so we needed someone to be able to provide additional legal counsel. However, Xavier, there is something you can still provide, and that is whatever is making memories for you this week. So make memories for me this week, um, a couple different soccer things that I want to talk about. First, I want to give a shout out to CONCACAF. Uh, both Haiti and Panama, their women's national teams, uh, won in the Inter-Confederation playoffs this week. Meaning CONCACAF will have six teams at the Women's World Cup, the most that they've ever had. And only UEFA has more. And I think it's fantastic that CONCACAF women are doing so great. And none of it is Mexico, which makes me, as a very petty USA fan, much, much happier. Pardon my ignorance, but is it the same number of countries qualifying for the Women's World Cup as the World Cup? I do not remember from last time around. Uh, so this, they actually spend the Women's World Cup, so it's 32 this year, which is the same as what the uh, Men's World Cup just had back uh, in the winter. But Although the next, the next Men's World Cup will be 48, so it'll be more. But this is the only time that it's been the same within a year span, so it, it's close enough. Ships passing in the night. Beautiful. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I also wanted to give a shout-out to uh, Ferran Torres, who is a winger for Barcelona. Um, he used to play for Manchester City, made a pretty big money move about a year ago, uh, and he struggled a bit. And this week he opened up about how he was feeling a lot of pressure trying to live up to that price tag, and so he started going to therapy. And he was talking about how he hopes that seeing a therapist will become more normalized in soccer and uh, that it's been one of the best experiences of his life because now he feels so much stronger for having talked through like all his feelings, all his emotions, everything that was bothering him. And I just thought that was really great. You know, I, I love people trying to like, especially pro athletes with such a large platform, trying to normalize that. Th those are the two things I had, just a couple small soccer things, but making memories for me. The mental health day in hockey, I know, is uh, already past us, but in general, like we've talked about what John Mark Bosman and Clint Malarchuk just within the last couple months is guys who 
in those two sports, hockey and soccer, did not have the help that they needed. So good that we will not have uh, as many, hopefully, vagrant soccer players relying on handouts from the union. Not that he's not entitled to that. We just hope that it doesn't come to that for them anymore. Remember that guy? Remember that guy? Remember that guy? Remember that guy? Guys, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. Are you, are you briefly here with us? All I remember is I got a hand up up a gap and then I felt a collision. It felt like a truck hit me and now I'm here. Is that you guys? That's, that's us. Diaz, look, I want to make sure that we're getting our priorities straight. But while you're here with us, is there anything that's making memories for you? So the last thing I remember before getting absolutely clobbered by Jadavion Clowney is there's a guy on the Phillies who was in the Navy, but now he's pitching for us. Does, does that ring a bell? There was a guy who was in the Navy's and also the Red Sox organization until super recently. Okay, okay, all right. Everything's starting to come back to me now. So yes, in real time, making memories for me is uh, Noah Song. The coolest story in all of spring training across MLB this year. As you alluded, James, member of the Red Sox organization, he attended the Naval Academy where he was a dominant pitcher for the midshipmen. Drafted by the Red Sox in the fourth round. Puts up some really good numbers in short season class A ball in Lowell. And then it is time for him to fulfill his patriotic duty and go serve for the midshipmen. So at this point, he thinks this is it. This is a nice little flirting that I had with professional ball, but it's time to move on and be a member of the Navy. Still, the Red Sox hold his rights. And a little less than a year ago, he applied for an exemption with the Navy, basically saying, hey, you guys could be a little cool about it. I'd like to have a chance to play baseball. Not expecting it to go through. And then two things happen in a short amount of time. The Navy grants that exemption. And Major League Baseball holds its Rule 5 draft, which is the funniest little exception to the rule kind of thing that only uniquely exists in baseball. I love the Rule 5 draft. I don't know about you guys, but I love the Rule 5 draft. I love the Rule 5 draft, too, because if they don't stay on your roster for the entire year, then they just get sent back. It's like, oh, we, we like this guy, and we had him on the team for six months, but then, you know, he kind of had a bad period, and we cut him. Now he's back on that team that we just stole him from, like, six months earlier. We've got Ryan Flaherty, TJ McFarland, I, if I'm not mistaken, Anthony Santander right now on the Orioles. The Bank, as an O's fan, absolutely adore the Rule 5 draft. Though... Again, the thing that's craziest to me about Noah Song, because I have heard about this too, is he he hadn't gotten the exemption when he was taken in the Rule 5 draft, if I'm not mistaken. What was that sequence of events? Let's clarify I, this. I'm fairly certain that when the Phillies got him, he was still officially in the Navy. You are 100% correct. They selected Ryan Song in the Rule 5 draft in December. And the other important connection to note here is Dave Dombrowski, who runs the baseball operations side for the Phillies, was doing the exact same job for the Red Sox when they drafted Noah Song. So Dave Dombrowski's been on Noah Song for a while. So I think that adds another interesting element to this. And look, the thing that makes this even crazier is 2019 is when he officially began his service. He himself says he's not thrown off a mound since then until the day that he arrived in Clearwater for spring training. Like, played catch a couple times, but for all intents and purposes, the, the, the three of us on this podcast have probably thrown a baseball about as much since 2019 as Noah Song has. And now he has a chance to go out in spring training and make the Phillies roster. It's going to be fascinating to, to follow that all spring training. Andrew Painter's got to keep an eye over his shoulder now. He he thought he was hot shit. He thought he was the number one prospect. And now there's this Navy boy coming after his job. Anchors away, my boys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another Larbardly fellow. It's just such a uniquely silly thing that could only exist in baseball. And 
odds are most likely against Noah Sawan. He's most likely going to have his rights reverted back to the Red Sox organization. But let's say he goes in in his first spring training game and goes against the, the meat of the Yankees order and sits him down one, two, three. I think based on that alone, he would need to <laughs> make the official roster. And certainly, I think everybody's rooting for him. Uh, if, if you've heard this story and you're not rooting for Noah Sawan, go fuck yourself and stop listening to this podcast because it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Uh, Noah Sawan, going to follow in the footsteps of Shane Victorino, another great Rule 5 draftee by the Philadelphia Phillies. And at the very least, if he doesn't do that, he has made some excellent memories. What about you, James? It's going to start off on a downer because actually in our conversation with Evan last week about the Chinichi Dragons, I mentioned how much I loved their connection in the newspaper because of the beautiful The Sun sign in Camden Yards, which today was taken down. It has been in Camden Yards for the entirety of existence. Mike Elias and the Angelos family unhappy with having merely ruined all of my optimism from an out-of-nowhere winning Orioles season last year, have decided that we also need to just get rid of any of the nice little touches that Camden Yard has so it can emulate Tampa, not just in team construction, but in bland, soulless existence of a stadium as well. You have the wall still. We have the wall, and I love the wall very much, but... Eventually, they're just gonna they're gonna make the whole thing out of wall, and I won't love it anymore at that point. The good news is, I didn't want to finish. I wanted to start with the negativity because now there is one other, I think, kind of beautiful thing that is going to at some point affect all of sports. And I want you to bear with me. I swear this is going somewhere. You know, Bill Watterson, yeah. Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes, which he did from 1985 until 1995. And since then has pretty much, except for like one time where he did three comic strips of Get Fuzzy in 2014 has been completely off the map. Yeah, that's the only like output that he's had until just two weeks behind. But he did announce this month that in October, Bill Watterson is going to be putting out the first piece of work that he has really since 1995. And the reason that I think this is important is because I can't wait to see what character in this gothic fairy tale he is creating along with uh, a partner of his, John Cashed. Uh, John Cashed and Bill Watterson are putting together the mysteries. And one of these characters is eventually going to become a copyright image that pisses on everything. And <laughs> it's just exciting to see which one of them it is following the grand tradition of Calvin. Here's actually a fun fact that I, I thought of looking up the Calvin pissing stickers, which is a difficult thing to Google. But something that I found this week, do either of you happen to know the first recorded instance of a Calvin Pissing sticker? Mm. I have a guess, mostly based on hazy childhood memories. I'm going to, my guess is that it's going to be either a pro Ford or pro Chevy, either the Ford or the Chevy logo getting pissed on for purposes of putting on the back of a pickup truck. It does make the jump to car manufacturers in NASCAR very early on. But that is that's, not the, first. Wow. But that's not, okay. the okay. not okay. the origin. That's not the origin. Okay. Okay. According to the Tampa Bay Times, God, going back I to really should have known. Yeah. November 26, 1995, the very first one ever was uh, reportedly on the side of a 25-foot motorhome. There's a sticker of Calvin pissing on FSU. And it was a University of Florida <laughs> fan who would attach that to their mobile home. November 26, 1995. That is the first recorded time. Wow. And not, not long after, Florida won its first national title. So really, who's to say that wasn't... Like, if you're doing the 30 for 30 about the 96 Gators, I think this is where you have to start it, probably. This is the, the opening scene. is just the slow creep up on the trailer. Slow home. pan across this this Calvin Piss trailer, yeah. But yeah, I just thought that was lovely. Uh, I have looked at it. They released a couple images. Um, I will go ahead and actually share these with you guys now just so you can get a look at them. This is a front runner, I think. Uh, terrified Monk Man. You can see just something really could be scaring him to the point where he needs to piss and it becomes more of a frantic thing than a taunting mm -hmm. thing. The other one I kind of want to consider is a guy who, before I send it, I'm just going to describe him as best as I can, and you can tell me whether you think this is accurate. 
gaunt wizard with a ham radio. Really, I think the only way that I can sum up the imagery of that second one. Those this are my po- two. This is a podcaster is what you're showing here. This is just a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> Guillermo um, del Toro made a movie about a podcaster and it was animated. That is what they would look yes, like. Yep, that is exactly right. Well, he'll get the film options to this. But while we await that, we have, thankfully, Bill Watterson making memories for us. And I'm sure some intrepid University of Florida entrepreneur doing the same shortly thereafter <laughs> with one of these characters. Here's here's a weird old man with headphones pissing on a logo. Is that okay? Are we cool with that? No? All right, great. We do have, at some point, a submission to the Guybunal today. But Ryan, just in case there's somehow uh, any kind of part of the demographic that listens to us that doesn't also listen to your work. You are someone who has built a career out of guys, it's kind of safe to say at this point, from some of the stuff that you've done with SB Nation Video through Shutdown Fullcast Now. Uh, at the risk of gushing for a moment, although there were only four episodes of Card Show, I cannot tell you how formative the moment that you got a second checklist with a checklist, four checklist cards on it, in that yeah. has been for my intake of sports and the way that I process them over the last few years. Checklist uh, checklist was a real, like when we set out to do card show, the premise was absurd, but I think it was very, uh, it, there was a nice bit of closure to arriving at the part where you get a checklist that has checklists on it, a checklist or a Boros of sorts, mm-hmm. just being like, yeah, by definition, this is the crappiest sports card you can get. <laughs> Like it I doesn't, like... you don't even have like a fun athlete's name on it. <laughs> the the show could have had like some meat on the bone, I think for some time. And then you found the worst card almost immediately yes, that you possibly yes, could have. Yes. Yes. It was, uh, it was pretty special and, and it, it, it holds a very special place in my heart. Checklist, checklist does. Well, I'm glad. I, I guess uh, if I could ask a question before we dive into things sure. uh, related to things that you might hold close to your heart, is there as you spend a lot of time looking at a lot of the sillier stuff in sports, something that you remember kind of being an awakening or some athlete that was an awakening to this, you know, kind of goofiness on the sidelines or even in whatever field of play you're watching, something that like alerted to you to the the less serious nature of all this. I mean, I don't know if there is like, I would love to say like, oh, Clinton Portis was, you know, when he was playing for Washington or something like, I would love to say that there was somebody like that. But I think because athletes and how they were portrayed or understood in the media for most of the 90s when I was growing up was just such a limited frame of reference that I didn't really get that sense. To me, I suppose most of how I have embraced the absurdity or the non-seriousness of sports has come from teams that I watched, most notably Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they wore cream school orange. And I have this very formative memory. Jersey. Yeah. So a couple things to know. First of all, when I was, for most of my young life, Bucks were not in the NFC South. They were in, I think it was called the NFC Central at that point. And their division mates were the Detroit Lions, the Green Bay Packers, the Chicago Bears, and the Minnesota Vikings. And that's like who their quote-unquote rivals were. And that's who you were supposed to care that they like faced off against. It was they super, were, like, that alone was super weird. I don't know a lot about the NFC because I've exclusively read for AFC. They were basically just grafted onto the NFC North. Yes, this is basically before, I think it was when uh the Jags and Panthers got added is when they sort of like realigned all the divisions. The Falcons had like a weird run where they were an NFC West team for a while, if memory serves. Like I think the Bucks did this a lot longer than other teams did. But yeah, for a while they would like you had this weird situation where whether or not the Bucks were good or not, many times they weren't, it'd be like, oh cool, they have to go play in like Chicago and Green Bay after november and they sucked in those games they were just fucking terrible because they all lived in tampa like yeah. they had no they, they had no possible experience playing in freezing weather i have this very formative memory i don't remember what the game was or who the opponent was we went to a game because it was not hard to get bucks tickets to these games like they weren't they weren't that good again the rivalries were weird and there was a 
man seated in front of us, about three rows, had a headset on through which he was listening to the game over the radio at the same time that he was watching it. And something stupid happened, but just like standard level stupid. Like, let's say Trent Dilfer threw a, threw a pick. Like, that seems entirely reasonable. Sure, I'm very familiar with that. He watched this happen in real time, and he said, shit. Then he heard it described on the radio, and he said, shit, again. And I was like, <laughs> what a crazy thing. Like, what a, why do you come to this game to watch this team that you know is probably going to be bad, and you, like give yourself this experiential surround sound so that you can know just how bad it is on multiple levels. That's wild to me. So I think, I think that was very helpful in helping me understand that like what we are watching is in many ways, uh, insanely funny. So it's almost the entertainment value of what the sport is doing for other people that kind of broke that for you. Yes, yes, yes. It, uh, uh, yeah, sports really, in sometimes in very disturbing ways, obviously, sports really turns people into really bizarre versions of themselves. And listen, I accidentally became an Eagles fan, so I have no room to, to talk at this sure. point. Who are any of us to say that we are not also uh, monsters to some extent when we all sure. start watching? Sure, sure. <laughs> but hopefully, like, controlled monsters. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, you do like largely focus on college football, at least for your, your professional work nowadays. One other thing I, I do kind of wonder, is there any difference in the realm of guys in, in appreciating something in the moment, knowing when you're watching college that all of it's a lot more fleeting in, in a lot of ways because those guys are going to go on so quickly? Like, does that change, I guess, how do you want to be more present in everything because you know there's less of it there for you? Um, I think that's probably, uh, yeah, I think there's an element of that for sure. I think what it does mean is when you get the rare player who is good enough to play for a long time at the college, like Chucky Keaton is a really good example of this to me, former Utah State quarterback who like got hurt a bunch, but when he like almost beat Auburn on the road once and had all these other crazy games and like was never at no point was it like oh Chucky e. Keaton's going to go tear things up in the NFL. I honestly couldn't even tell you if he played it down in the NFL. I suspect he was so beat up by the end of his college career that he just didn't do it. But there are I think it helps make those guys a little more special when you have somebody who it's like oh yeah, he's still here. Hey, that's fun. That's great to see him again because otherwise you're right, like you do have to sort of enjoy uh, Joe Burrow is a really good example of this. Joe Burrow, you know, technically, yeah, had two years at LSU. Nobody talks about the first one. Nobody cares about the first one that much. It's the second one that's special and that lives in memory forever. So, uh, yeah, it's you probably do have to sit up and pay attention a little more quickly. Pro of that is that you get, you know, with the number of teams that you have and the number of games that you have, like, there's room for a lot of guys. In college football, there's just a ton of guys. And like the the colleges, I think, have a much more, it's a lot more possible for a college to take on some of the qualities that like we might look for in athletes at the professional level where franchises can't do that. But like, I just listened to this week's podcast. Auburn is indeed a character. Uh, Auburn yes. exists as a guy in and of itself, independent of any of its players. Its players can yeah. also be, but like, it is a guy. Yeah, and like, to be clear, that is sort of a scam that the schools are all pulling on, on me and everybody else. Like, they mm -hmm. want us to believe that, like, being a Michigan man or rooting for Texas is meaningfully different than rooting for Ohio State or Oklahoma or whatever it is. And, like, yes, there are some differences. It's not entirely made up. But it's to their advantage to sort of, like, have you buy in in a way that, like, there are only a handful of NFL fan bases I can think of that maybe fit this. The Steelers really come to mind for some reason. But, like, I don't think... It's it's harder to be like, oh, I'm a Chargers fan, and that is, like, a definitional aspect of my personality. Where in, in college football, I think it is a lot easier for people to say, I am a Georgia fan, and that means these four things about me. and And the NFL, like, I don't think they care, but it just doesn't really map the same way. 
except for I, Bills fans. I yeah, that's true. Steelers Bills fans are a good Steelers example. Steelers and Bills, yeah. I think. Honestly, like, Eagles. Like, I, those sure. three, I think, are the three you could say kind of possess the, the same kind of media. Yeah. yeah, Raiders fans used to have this. I don't know if it moved. I feel like once they left California, it doesn't really apply anymore. But they were probably another example of this as well. Oakland's really going to lose three teams in like 10 years. That's absolutely brutal. Yeah, it's not great. Um, but you know what? Let's... Let's focus on some more positivity. We were talking about there for a moment, college, but we do want to go back, as I understand it, to the professional ranks for the candidate that you have brought before the guy Bunel today. So the player I've selected, do, do, you tell me, do you want me to just blurt out his name? Do you want me to tease it out a little bit here? How do you, how do you want this presentation to go? I, I won't say that there are definitely style points awarded okay. for presentations but it, it perhaps is uh, taken into consideration if it's borderline okay okay this guy in his first start in the nfl this is a former quarterback put up a what looks like or i'm sorry not his first start his first appearance in the nfl put up uh, a pretty impressive stat line he went 10 of 14 for 143 yards with two touchdowns and a pick. And if you're thinking like, well, it's not, that's not all that much. Like, what am I, what am I to get excited about here? Uh, I should let you know that he did not enter his first game until, I'm pulling up the exact time here, until there were 13 minutes and 52 seconds left. This person entered a game that his team was down 13-3 on the road, I should, I should add as well, against a team that was uh, on its way to the playoffs. His team was on its way to the playoffs as well. And for full, for full transparency, this was a game that wasn't going to mean anything for uh, NFL for playoff standings. This was a Week 16 game when that was the last week of the season. Um, so he enters this game down 13-3. He has a little bit of a shaky start. Goes three and out on his first drive. On his second drive, he throws a pick, and then he gets the ball back. With Now we're down to 5.35 to go. The margin is the same. He leads a touchdown drive, which he ends with a short touchdown pass. His team kicks off. Their opponent fumbles the ball, and he throws a second touchdown pass to give his team a 17-3 lead. This has happened in the span of 26 seconds it looks like 25 seconds 25 seconds his team has gone from down 13-3 to up 17-3 eventually going on to win this game hero that i bring to you today and i have more to tell you about him is philadelphia eagles former super backup aj feely i could sense that it was an eagles backup i could sense philadelphia backup energy it's something that we've encountered a lot here I didn't think it matched up with Nick Foles, but AJ Feely is, if Footlong Foles, Big Dick Nick, whichever you prefer, did not have the ring, AJ Feely would probably still, at least what I know coming into this, be the ultimate Eagles backup. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's like a, that's a job with competition. Kevin Cobb is, you know, was a much heralded, you can go back and find like people who are like, oh, Kevin Cobb's going to be the next great. NFL quarterback. That was not true. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> um, what I love about AJ Feely is that his his NFL career was incredibly limited, not in time, but just in like overall scope. He had he finished with a starting record, and QB wins don't matter, but I think it's like useful as context all, all the same. Of eight and ten, he only appeared in twenty eight games. And he threw 762 passes over, like, you know, this is like a 10-year career. Wow. A.J. Feely. God. The, the, the very start of the beginning of the end of the Donovan McNabb era. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the, the, the thing that's most important to remember about A.J. Feely is that he was not Donovan McNabb's backup quarterback. He was the third-string quarterback. Coy Detmer, so I need, I need to just riff on Coy Detmer for a little bit right now. Coy Detmer should be the next nominee into this hall after A.J. Feely, who also belongs in this hall. Because Coy Detmer, I will say very confidently, is the greatest holder in NFL history. 
He is such a good holder that for the Eagles 2006 playoff run, the, the Jeff Garcia run, another great backup quarterback in Eagles history. Coy Detmer was out of the league, and right before the playoffs started, we signed Coy Detmer to be the backup quarterback just so he could hold kicks again. And let me tell you, Dave Akers hit a game-winning field goal. Excuse me, he's David Akers. David Akers hit a game-winning field goal at the last play of the game to win the wild card round against the Giants. And I'll tell you, that snap was a little high. It was a little sloppy fields that night. Another holder. It, it made a, a difference. It would have made a difference. It would have made a difference. So I love Coy Detmer. The, the, the first exposure really to Coy Detmer in a non-holding capacity was a Monday night football game against the 49ers. The first week after McNabb had broken his ankle and threw four touchdowns on a broken ankle. And nobody talks about that enough. Donovan McNabb was fucking amazing. But then Coy Detmer goes in on Monday Night Football and starts lighting the Niners the fuck up to the extent that at one point he throws a touchdown to put the Eagles up. I want to say like three scores. And the last shot you see as they do the replay and Monday Night Football goes out to commercial is Coy Detmer doing the like spank the baby celebration <laughs> to his own side. <laughs> And then he was horrifically injured later in that same game and didn't come back in. But that cleared the way for number 14, A.J. Feely. And I'm sure Brian is going to or has gotten into. I'm not sure how the space-time dynamics of me being back here work specifically. But what I do know, great run in 2002 and really should have given the 07 Patriots their first L on Sunday Night Football. I don't want to step over what Ryan's going to get into too much or has gotten into too much, but God, I fucking love AJ Feely. So most years he's not playing at all. He is third on the um, depth chart for a lot of them. But when he comes in, more likely than not, it is this weirdly meaningful thing. The best example of this is his second year in Philly when... 2002 Eagles, because of injuries, have to turn to him in a four-game stretch. They're 8-3 and three and hoping to still stay on track to make the playoffs. A.J. Feely wins four games in a row for them, and they, the Eagles go on to secure the number one seed by doing this. He uh, eventually gets traded to Dolphins where he has to battle for the starting QB job with Jay Fiedler, which is just a really wonderful sentence to say. Um, Fiedler, Feely, yeah, yeah, it's pretty special. Isn't Sam well, Wilson Fells on that team too? Uh, he might have been. I know, I know. I don't know if he's on that team yet or not. I know that eventually AJ will be traded to the Chargers for Cleo Lemon, so he like touches all parts of the miserable Dolphins quarterback tree at some points in his career. While he's a Dolphin, he plays a game as well against the Patriots. The setting is the Dolphins are 2-11. and The Patriots are 12-1. and This is a Monday night football game. <laughs> the Dolphins are down 350, uh, with 3.59 to play. They're down 11. And A.J. Feely leads the team to two late scores, including the game-winning touchdown. This is like it doesn't ultimately matter again because the Patriots win the Super Bowl that year, but it does knock them out of home field advantage throughout the playoffs. He briefly is named the starting quarterback when Nick Saban comes in. <laughs> that doesn't last. Like he, I don't think he even like plays a game while Nick Saban's the quarterback. Uh, Gus Farrat is the starter instead. He has a whole second round with the Eagles, and then. His last start, I want to make sure I get this right, because A.J. Feely is important to me, and I don't want to do him wrong here. Computer, move faster. I beg you. All right, here we go. <laughs> so he ends up bouncing around the league quite a bit, and his last stint is with the St. Louis Rams. And oh, man, the... he really does hit every single miserable yeah, franchise. Yeah, yeah, and And, like, the, the Chargers are probably the, like, most state like he goes to the Chargers team that has both Drew Brees and Philip Rivers for that brief period where the Chargers know they're going to stick with Rivers, but 
they're like I think franchise tagging Braves and just sort of like figuring out what to do with him. The he just like are a good yeah. team at least while still being pathetic. Like there's yes. there's definitely a they're a tragic figure, but they're a tragic figure because they have some amount of success that ultimately amounts to nothing in contrast to nothing on the other. Yeah, yeah. So AJ Feely's last game, or, or not his last, I should say, but it, my, his penultimate game in the NFL is a start with the Rams against the New Orleans Saints. Coming into this game, the Saints are 5-2, and two, the Rams are 0-6. Oh and six. And St. Louis wins this game 31-21. And again, it's like A.J. Feely putting up extremely average numbers. It was enough to lead this team to victory in a game that it has no business winning. Second stint in Philly, he had a late-season game where I think, I think what happened in that particular season was McNabb got hurt. Oh, gosh, what's his name? Uh, Jeff Garcia ended up getting the spot while McNabb was healing up and Feely came in to play again like last week of the season or down the stretch or something and plays really well in a game to keep the Falcons out of a wild card spot. Like for somebody who has played very little football overall, has has not like doesn't have a a, a huge body of work. This is just an astounding amount of like interesting and meaningful football to be I... a part of. I don't think win probability added has made its way over to football yet because it's, I guess, hard to like dissect. We, we've got the charts. We've yes. got the probability but charts. It's, but we it's hard to assign it to a particular 11 player. different players. Right. right. That being said, you are making a case for Jay Feely to probably have one of the higher win probability to actual amount of time on the field ratios right. that right. we have on record. Right. He's He's... Football doesn't really have these, especially at the quarterback position, but he was, I would argue, like, really badass pinch hitter. Nobody was arguing, like, oh, he should get 400 plate appearances. He should be your everyday first baseman or something like that. But the times that he st went up to the plate, it was like, yeah, you're probably going to see something interesting. It's probably going to be something worthwhile. To add, and I'll, I'll finish my case here, uh, A.J. Feely played at Oregon and was reasonably successful there, had a little bit of injury history, but was not the starter his senior year. Do you know who he backed up his last year as a duck? Would, um, we're talking, what, like late 90s at that point? This, uh, a, little, a little later than that. This would have been the 2000 college football season, yeah. 2000 Oregon Ducks. I don't think I'm going to be able to pull that. Wait, it, it, I, oh, wait. Xavier, you're, you're the bigger expert on this one for me. Come on. Well, I, I'm in between two busts at, at, at quarterback right now. Okay. Is it a bust? Is it, it like, oh, it's 100%, it's 100 a bust. And I know which two you're thinking of. And, and is it I, Joey I, Harrington? It is Joey. It is John yes. Joseph Harrington. Yes, that is correct. I was debating between him and Carr, the first Carr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Joey Harrington, indeed. That's a fun team right there. Yeah, yeah. So that's my guy. That's A.J. Feely, who, despite all of this, the lasting sort of media memory of A.J. Feely has nothing to do with anything he did on the football field. It's that he was married, it is, not was, is married to Heather Mitz, who was, uh, I believe... Yeah, a member of the U.S. women's national team for uh, most of his NFL career. And so, like, he's he just was... He's husband. Yes, 100%. He's just, arm, he's just arm candy. This is because, I mean, we've got a lot of power couples right now. We've got Megan Rapinoe and Sue Bird, even if Sue Bird's retired. You've yep. got uh, the Ertzes. But, like, yep. all of those are pretty even. Like, Julie yes. and Zach, I think, are maybe the, one of the few where it's a little bit the soccer player. But yeah. that's overwhelming. Yes, yes. And even at the time, it was just like, oh, how nice for him. <laughs> Shout out Mallory Swanson and Dansby Swanson, because yes. she's scoring every single goal for the U.S. women this entire year. Oh, what did I just see that Dansby Swanson's actual first name is and, and learn for the first time? There was some image that was... this up. This is important. Is, uh, it was an image that also informed me that Zach Granke's real name is Donald. 
Mm. Uh, I did not know that. I did not know, frankly, that uh, Ken Griffey Jr.'s real name was George. Uh, Dansby Swanson's first name is James. There we go. That is the, yes, same image I'm looking at. You should have worried for a second. Here's the thing. I'm going to admit that I was worried for a moment as I pulled up this image. That is Dansby Swanson, right? I'm not making a mistake here because he is still in an Atlanta hat. So it's probably like, this is just someone who didn't update it yet with the Cubs logo. Okay, we're good. But yeah, him and and Donald Granke and George Griffey Jr. Mm, interesting. Interesting. But beyond them, we want to, we want to focus on the feely here. Yeah. Um, I have some thoughts. I sure. I do feel good. I think one one particularly argument that uh, is is ripe for you right now was the pinch hitter analogy. We just spent some time last Matt stairs at length about Matt Stairs. Yes, indeed, another <laughs> Philadelphia call in off the bench icon we'll say in comparison to feely uh i do want to take a moment do we happen to know when he went on the four game stretch that they won in order to preserve playoff position did he get any playoff time during that no i don't think aj feely has thrown a pass in the playoffs in his life no well and and i want to say i think that's a huge check in the pro column that is the answer i was hoping for Okay, because there is something very uh, delightfully poetic to me about not only coming in during the four game run and performing exactly as you need to in order to to keep the team going, but then recognizing as soon as you are uh, able to step back because your starter is here, that it is appropriate for you in that playoff situation to step back and not participate any further. Yeah, yeah. So this was this was the 2002 season. He started the last five games of the year. Four and one, they lost the last game, although I don't know at that point if they were how much they cared, frankly. So, so all the way through the 16th game, week 17, and then inactive for uh, their first game of the season, then inactive for what I think would have been the NFC Championship. And there are plenty of guys who get that four and one record and start to get a big head, start to think, you know sure. what, I'm, I'm the one that got us across the finish line, I've got a right to make my case if not actually start at least say that i should maybe he did we don't need to go back to the tape on that but it is very quintessentially guy to recognize that that is not your place at that point and to step back and just appreciate what your role in the larger organism of the team is i also remember not in this season so much but in subsequent like while he was on the team and while donovan McNabb was on the team like, as much as Philly, I think it's important for people to know, as much as Philly loved Allen Iverson and he could do no wrong, mm-hmm. Donovan McNabb could never win over Philly. Like, was, was, like, could, some, could sometimes be in, in good graces, but was never just f- firmly and fully embraced. And, and I bring this up because I do have memories of any time Donovan McNabb had a bad couple of games or struggled or something, there was some part of like Philly sports radio that would be like, I don't know. AJ Philly's right there. I feel like we got to <laughs> give him a shot. I feel like we got to go. I, he's, I feel like he's been, he's the man of our dreams. I like one off season with Lamar where Joe Flacco was still on the roster for some period of time after yeah. a, we'll say mixed playoff performance by Lamar sure. against the chargers. There sure had hope there at the end. Uh, but man, I, I can't imagine having to go through seasons of that because I was broken after just a couple weeks. Very Joe Flacco needs to start over Lamar <laughs> next season. It's it's all about Flacco. That's what the team needs to put their resources behind. Yep. Um, God, I hate Baltimore sports. They're all spoiled. Until you have to watch Zach Wilson and clamor for Mike White just for the sweet well- release of death. Xavier, I don't want to hear it. No, absolutely, absolutely. And hey, look, I might be saying this, and who knows? By the time this comes out on Monday, the Ravens might have ruined everything with Lamar. But I want to come back to the AFC East with you, Xavier, for one moment. I do, though, if you have any thoughts about A.J. Feely, want to open the floor to you for a sec. I mean, you know that I love backup quarterbacks, especially backup quarterbacks who somehow are there for 10 years, and, you know, they show up every once in a while, do something great, and it just keeps them for another paycheck. You know my love of Sage Rosenfels, the greatest preseason quarterback of all time. Uh, so I like A.J. Feely. I wish Diaz was here because I know Diaz would love A.J. Feely. But, I mean, I, I very much enjoy, especially the Philadelphia WIP talk radio aspect of it. I can just, I can hear it in my head right now. 
And I'm a big fan. I'm also a big fan of the U.S. women's soccer team uh, connection here. That's always a good way to pander to get my vote. <laughs> We've got a lot of guy cross-pollination because we got the, the brief encounter there with Sage Rosenfels, or if not brief encounter, at least close proximity. Yeah, sure. But... Six degrees of Sage Rosenfels. <laughs> Easily play, yeah. So, X, you, you have summed up the last point that kind of stuck out to me the most, which is, God, every once in a while, I remember how miserable it was to uh, exist in an AFC East fan for like 18 years. And I'm very sorry for you for having to go through that. Like, God, what it must be like to just know exactly how the season's going to play out at the beginning of every single year. That seems terrible. And for one of AJ Feely's shining moments to be coming on for this 2-11 Miami game, I was there once. The year uh, would have been 2007 because it's the Patriots almost undefeated season. And it's yeah. also the Dolphins almost unvictorious season. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, the Ravens almost ruined the Patriots undefeated season. They absolutely do deliver the Dolphins their only win. I remember seeing many very happy Dolphins fans recognizing like this was their highlight of yeah. the year. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But for AJ Feely to be the guy that delivered what, has to unquestionably be the best part of this Miami Dolphins season that will at best finished five and 11. I don't know what their final record was, but I refuse to possibly look. Been I refuse to look because I don't, I also don't want to know. Yeah. And, yeah. and that he did this on Monday night football as well. Cause may, this exactly. might've been before Monday night football was, was fully into the, like, we're going to, we're going to make sure two and 11 teams don't make it on the broadcast. Was, like, have they quite done that yet? Because I feel like we still get one of those stinkers a year. We, put those we, on Thursday yeah. night now. Yeah, that, I feel that, like... I feel the like, Jets versus the Colts. Yeah. With him being able to give Miami fans that one moment in the spotlight that year, and with him recognizing that when he got that spotlight, 15 minutes of fame, that was all he needed in that first yeah. game. It's perfect. He fits so many different guy archetypes. And particularly because uh, Diaz continues to scatter around us like a temporal wave and can't voice his support here. <laughs> Knowing how thoroughly he would love this, I think we have reached a consensus here with the guy Bunel. Guess what? I'm back. And I have some incredible news about the future of sports. But before I get to that, we need to, we need to recognize the guy that has been discussed, the guy that has been honored, and the guy that will be coming into our hall. One of the greatest members of the incredible lineage of backup quarterbacks in the history of Philadelphia. A man that helped the Eagles to the one seed in 2002, which set up a game against the Buccaneers where the Eagles went up 7-0, and I don't remember anything else after that. The man that should have beaten the 2007 Patriots. The man that captured the hearts of Philadelphia in this hall. A.J. Feely. Welcome into the Hall of Guy. But hold on, guys, so this is nuts. You're not going to believe this. They finally found a way to pin FIFA on all of its crimes. There's a new soccer organization. And yes, everybody agrees that it's soccer now. So the secret was that the movie Airbud actually revealed a great truth. If you watch very carefully, the 1034th frame. Congratulations. To our good friend AJ Feely, and congratulations to you, Ryan, for your you. successful you. advocacy. I'm sure it's bringing back some, I guess, college memories of, of standing in front of a silly fake decision maker. And it's it's been lovely to have you. I mean, not to belabor the point or anything. Not that we are unique in this case. You have had quite a, an influence on the way we imbibe and, and discuss sports, and we are very appreciative of that and of your time being on here. Well, thank you. I'm I'm happy that I could successfully shepherd AJ Feely to one more uh, exciting and unexpected victory. I feel like that's that's the legacy he deserves. You've gotten to now experience what it is like to come in in some kind of AJ Feely position and carry yes. someone else across that finish line that they yes. need. That's right. When it was just the one set of footprints, that's when you were carrying. <laughs> But no, again, we, we express our sincere guide to you and to you, dear listener, for checking in with us again this week, as well as to our musical director, Don Ham for our lovely theme music. Uh, we will be back next week, not with another guest, but with some 
renovations that the three of us are making to the Hall of Guys, some some new spaces that are opening up that we're excited to share with you. So we hope you will join us again then. Ryan, once again, if people for some reason do not already check your stuff out despite listening to our aping of that style, where can they find more uh, yeah, you can you can look for the Shutdown Fullcast on podcast services of your choice. If you listened to this and thought, wow, this is a person who is happy to talk about football, and specifically football, go listen to that show and have your illusions shattered. Absolutely <laughs> shattered. It is as uh, well-focused as we are, if not significantly more well-focused, much like a laser beam. So... <laughs> Go check that out and hear about nothing other than football. That's right. That's right. After all, it is the only place that you can listen to a podcast. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's the only college football podcast. Uh, Really, like, would be excited to help mentor others who want to get one started. Feel like we have a lot to teach. But, uh, you know, I don't know if people are intimidated or if they just think, like, there's nothing left to say because all the analysis has been done by us. But, like... So, you know, there's room. I think there's room for a second. I really do. Well, until that second exists, you can also check us out. I remember that guy. And we will be here next week to join you. But until then, I've been James. I've been the not very special guest, Xavier. And I've been Ryan Nanny. And I'm Diaz. And as Dr. Frankenstein said upon wakening the monster, it's a guy. It's a guy. <laughs> Ryan, how many turkeys would it take to beat up a mailman with a shepherd's crook? You know, I think it's more about the, sh- the turkey's got to have the want to. Because there were other turkeys there. And if they had just said, like, hey, you know, there's nothing you can do about... You can't... That's spilt milk. We just got to keep charging forward. I think it's more about turkey attitude than turkey numbers, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's a turkey red army at the battle of stalingrad yes yeah we're like look yes. we've got the numbers if it takes yes. us throwing just turkey after turkey into the yes if we, lose a, if we lose we a thousand committed. turkeys but we take down one mail truck it's all worth it <laughs>